The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. I just don't understand it. We're all from the same country here, and, and yet there's still all this talk about North and South. Where's the dividing line? I'd say that the dividing line was in people's minds. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, January 28, 2021. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be and I'm pleased to have in the studio with us today our recurring guest, Salim Mansour, who has not been with me here across the table since October 8th of last year. It's been that long, Salim. Welcome back. Thank you. And you know, at that time, I asked you, uh, will Trump win the November 3rd election? And you said, yes, I'm confident he's going to win and get reelected. And you are absolutely right. What we didn't know was that even if you win the election and get reelected, it doesn't mean you're going to hold office. And we will talk about why that is so right after our reminder that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Follow and like us on your favorite podcast platform and visit us at www.justrightmedia.org where you can access all of Just Right's social media links and our archive broadcasts. As always, your financial support is appreciated and is what makes this show possible. Well, Salim, as Professor Emeritus of Political Science at the University of Western Ontario, Boy, have we been through a ride lately with the U.S. election, and there have been so many expectations both met and dashed. What's your big take on all of this? Well, um, now now that uh, President Trump was elected, his election likely was stolen, and now he has departed Washington. Uh, we can say now he's in the history books, and we now look back and try to assess what the last four years of the Trump presidency means and stands for. Uh, and that, I think, if you look at it in those terms, will give us an understanding, in my view, of where America has come 75 years after the end of World War II. I mean, last year, 2020, now 2020 is the hindsight year. 2020 was the 75th anniversary of the end of World War II. So in this period where America has morphed or arrived at between the end of that war and the departure of President Trump is something that we need to reflect upon. And in those terms, what President Trump, ironically, I would call him a tragic hero, ironically exposed. So here's my, right at the outset, uh, I would say that uh, in the period after 1945, that is the modern recent history of the United States, America went from being a republic to becoming, in effect, a republic run by the deep state. And the election of 2020 was, in a sense, the final blow to that republic because if the integrity of the election is open to question, then everything else that follows is suspect. And 
the Republican order in that sense has more or less collapsed. And that was the tragic side of the presidency of President Trump, that he exposed the whole thing. This is a great accomplishment on his part, I think, is that, you know, the two things that we're going to walk away with from the Trump administration is that we discover that fake news is real and fake elections are real. Yes. And those are not just American phenomenon, but global. And what, ha- what has me scratch in my head is it appears in retrospect that Trump did not have the number of supporters around him that he had hoped he would have or the degree of support he needed to follow through on what he did. Given that reality, my God, it's amazing what he got accomplished in the, in the time he had with all, like he, he is in the swamp, right? The swamp that he's trying to drain and he's trying not to go down with it. How, how did he accomplish all those marvelous things if he didn't have any support? And if he got those things accomplished, where was that support coming? And then why did it suddenly abandon him? Well, we have to qualify it. I mean, uh, the accomplishment of President Trump in the arenas of the economic issue, the economic realm, and in foreign policy were all achievement based upon President Trump being the chief executive and the commander-in-chief of the army, the head of state. You know, the American administration, American government, constitutionally, uh, we might now say that the constitution is simply a charade now, But constitutionally, the American government is a separation of power. There are three branches of government, the president, the chief executive, the Congress, the legislature, and the judiciary, the Supreme Court. So his achievements are all in the realm of the president enacting policies based upon executive orders. Right. And soon after president's departure... Biden installed as the 46th president, and I emphasize installed as opposed to inaugurated, and we can get into that. Well, I'll tell you, it sure looked like an installation. It didn't look like an inauguration. But it's not only looks like an installation. What does installation mean as opposed to inauguration? Biden has already begun to uh, unsign all of those policies. So those policies were not based upon uh, President being able to get through the Congress and make them into statutes. Mm-hmm. So that we have to keep in mind. But let me backtrack from that. You know, I mean, the achievement, his executive orders were very significant because there was an economic boom taking place that had not been seen for more than half century. And all of that came to an end with COVID coronavirus pandemic, the Wuhan flu. And I remember that we have talked about that. And that too, now we can say it was a fake pandemic launched by the Chinese communists against uh, President Trump, turned into a global pandemic by the WHO and the globalists with their support of the globalists in the United States, that is the Democratic Party and all of the various organizations linked to the Democratic Party that basically shut down. It was a draconian lockdown of the American economy as it was and has been of economies right around the world. But I want to step back, Bob, and point out what I began with and the question that is implicit or or the issue that is implicit in your question, how did he do all of this? Remember, President Trump 
was the classic outsider. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Hollywood movie, what was it? The famous movie yeah. of uh, Stuart, Mr. Smith goes to goes Washington. Washington. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so um, uh, Trump was the Mr. Smith in that sense, and a tragic Mr. Smith. He was the outsider. From 1945, President Truman, he was the 33rd president, to Obama, who was the 44th president. Every single president post-1945 were an insider. They had served in the American government in some capacity. Truman was elected, or he became the president after Roosevelt died. Uh, He was Roosevelt's vice president, but he had served in the Senate. And that's when President Roosevelt took him on as his vice president on his ticket in the 1944 election. So from uh, Truman to Obama, Obama was a senator. You know, he was the junior senator from Illinois when he ran for the nomination of the Democratic Party in 2008 and won the election in 2008. Every single president had served in some capacity, either in the Congress, as a representative or a senator, or as a governor, like for instance, uh, Ronald Reagan was two-term governor of of California. So they all were part of the system. They had all been elected to serve in some capacity in Washington. Trump was the first and possibly the only man, we might not see a repeat of this, who was a complete outsider. He had never run for any office. (laughs) You know, it's funny, you you call him an outsider, but that's an outsider with the government. He was definitely an insider with the American people. And the American people, if he's an outsider, then they're an outsider, as I see it. So so you're you're right. I mean, your point is where where I was heading to. He was the outsider in terms of what I was previously stating, that from 1945 and after, Washington had become the center of the deep state. And the American Republic was morphing into what we now know. That is the deep state. It is run by the deep state. Every single president was an insider in Washington. Trump, he was truly the defining people's president. So what you are talking about, yes, 75 million people voted for him. So he was the people's president, but he was the outsider. Mm -hmm. And the moment he got elected, in fact, from before he got elected, once he became the nominee of the Republican Party, his taking over the Republican Party in the 2016 primary was, in a sense, a hostile takeover because all of the other leading contenders of the Republican Party for the 2016 election, they were all establishment Republicans. They all had a place either in Washington or they had served as Jeb Bush, who was the favorite of the Republican establishment to become the nominee, had served in, 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 as a governor, uh, two-term governor of Florida. And here comes a man again, the outsider. Right from the very first debate, if you recall, you know, the establishment was out to knock him down, but they failed. The very first question Megyn Kelly asked him in that famous debate was the smear attack upon him. Right. Why do you behave like this with women? Why do you call them, etc., etc., etc.? And what was his answer? Only Rosie O'Donnell. <laughs> now, they keep talking about the president and what he said. Mm-hmm. I want you all to really take a look 
at what the president said. Take a look at this. We have come to demand that Congress do the right thing and only count the electors who have been lawfully slated, lawfully slated. I know that everyone here will soon be marching over to the Capitol building to peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard. Today, we will see whether Republicans stand strong for integrity of our elections, but whether or not they stand strong for our country. There was nothing wrong with what he said. Not a thing. They saying that's inciting insurrection and sedition and all that kind of stuff. stuff. Uh But I want you all to take a look at what the Democrats been doing for the past four years. Take a look at this. I just don't even know why there aren't uprisings all over the country, and maybe there will be. People need to start taking to the streets. This is a dictator. You know, there needs to be unrest in the streets for as long as there is unrest in our lives. Enemies of the state. Show me where it says that protests are supposed to be polite and peaceful. Do something about your dad's immigration practices, you feckless. When they go low, we kick them. How do you resist the temptation to run up and wring her neck? Biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized right up to the right. I thought he should have punched him in the face. I said, even if you lost, he insulted your wife. Yes. He came down the escalator and called Mexicans rapists and murderers. He said, well, what do you think I should have done? I said, I think you should have punched him in the face and then gotten out of the race. Yeah, you would have well, been a hero. I'd like to punch him in the face. I said, if we were in high school, I'd take him behind the gym and beat the hell out of him. Punch some people in the face. When was the last time an actor assassinated a president? They're still going to have to go out and put a bullet in Donald Trump, and that's a fact. Look as his character is stabbed to death. Where is John Wilkes Booth when you need him? I have thought an awful lot about blowing up the White House. A Missouri state senator is under investigation by the Secret Service after saying she hopes President Trump is assassinated. I will go and take Trump out tonight. And if you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd. And you push back on them. And you tell them they're not welcome anymore, anywhere. And sadly, the domestic enemies to our voting system and wow. our honoring our Constitution uh, are right at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. They're not going to stop before Election Day in November, and they're not going to stop after Election Day. And that should be, everyone should take note of that on both levels, that this isn't, they're not going to let up, and they should not. If you think we're rallying now, you ain't seen nothing yet. So, so, Diamond, you yes. mean to tell me that Democrats can encourage violence, mm-hmm. threaten the president, mm-hmm. incite the violence, then raise bail money for the rioters and the looters, and nothing? Nothing. No, no, mm-hmm. Nobody say nothing? And really, that's sedition. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's yeah. sedition. Uh-huh. Then they want to turn around uh-huh. and try to impeach president uh-huh. on saying to peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard. Hurt. But look at all of this stuff that they done said for the mm. past four years. Mm-hmm.
when they yeah. talk about impeachment, I'm also hearing uh -huh. that a lot of this stuff was pre-planned <laughs> and some officials may have allegedly known about this. Okay. Now, Nancy Pelosi, Queen Nancy is in charge of the house. Queen. Did security consult with her <laughs> to let her know any of this stuff was going down? Did they? Because if they did, uh -huh. then the impeachment, you don't need to be impeaching Trump. Uh-huh. A lot of you all need to be impeached. Impeach yourself. That's right. Mm. It occurs to me, Salim, that when we use the phrase, the deep state, I mean, we've, we've seen this phrase and heard this phrase for a while. It occurs to me now that what that phrase truly means is that part of the state which seems to be out of the reach of the voter, that part of the state over which the electorate has no control and no say. It, would that be an accurate way of looking at the deep state? Um, yes, I mean, that would be one way to look at the deep state is immune to anything that the people have to say. The American Republic, to the extent it, you know, we saw it as a republic that is based upon the Constitution, is all about we the people. And we the people elect the representative to represent them in Washington. It is not the other way around. The legitimacy comes from we the people. The deep state is immune to or disconnected from we the people talk about legitimacy that we the people, that certainly didn't come out of this election, that's for sure. I, I'm, I'm not a person that goes around saying it's likely that there was <laughs> electoral fraud. I'm pretty sure 100%. The, the, the term deep state is something that has emerged in the context of the election of President Trump and now the departure of President Trump. But if you want to see it from the point of view of history, uh, modern history and from the point of view of uh, analysis in terms of political science, you know, and sociology. The deep state is the administrative state. It yeah. is the elite state, you know. It is a state that exists for itself and in itself. It is not what, in a sense, democracy was defined by uh, Lincoln as a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. Mm -hmm. uh, a, a deep state, an administrative well, state, okay, so an elite state, a corporate state. And we saw the morphing of a democratic state into a corporate state in the 1920s with the emergence of Mussolini's fascism, mm -hmm. you know, uh, state power. And then subsequently, the takeover of the Weimar Republic by the Third Reich, that is the National Socialist Party, you know. Well, the, 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 uh, but that was the last election that you had w in 1932 when Hitler's uh, party won the plurality of vote. It never became a majority party. And then it staged the Reichstag fire and seized power in 1933, mm -hmm. eliminated all the opposition. And then, you know, the state became the tool in the hand of the party. Well, let, let's, let's, you know, I still look at it in terms of, okay, the deep state is that part of the state that is kind of permanent. It's the bureaucracy. It's the people who actually carry out the orders, whereas the people we vote for are our quote-unquote representatives who point that state in the direction we want it to go in. And that's about as far as our connection with any state would go. It's not like we can have an upheaval of a state just because we vote for it. Correct. So, so here it is, the situation. First of all, you know, the idea of the deep state and the warning about the deep state was, was formulated by exactly 60 years ago this month by what 
I would say, is possibly the greatest post-1945 president, General Eisenhower, the man who was the supreme commander of the Allied forces, won the greatest war, you know, World War II. Sixty years ago this month, as President Eisenhower was leaving the White House, January of 1961, in his farewell address, he warned the American people of the military-industrial complex. Again, we have to go back to the context. The American Republic started changing through the war. In the war had emerged the nuclear age and the nuclear weapon. And then soon after the war, what began was the Cold War uh, with the Soviet Union. That Soviet Union itself had become a nuclear power in 1949. So the immensity of what President Eisenhower pointed out, the immensity of the military-industrial complex growing in size and importance in decision-making in Washington and all branches of the government in that sense becoming tied up to the issue of national security and the military would have adverse consequences for the people in terms of democracy. And my point is that from the point that President Eisenhower gave this warning. That means he was observing what had happened after 1945 because he had served at the highest level. Sixty years later, his warning has completely materialized, has come to full fruition. So here it is. What we saw and what we will be able to see as we go forward that President Trump exposed, the deep state has the control of the election. It can manipulate and control the election. The Dominion voting system. Yeah, but that's not a legitimate control. That's an illegitimate control. It's it, it's criminal. But, but I'll accept it as a fact. Yes. <laughs> you, you, the, what 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 we are doing, or what I'm doing, is is describing the deep state. Whether it is legitimate or illegitimate is a subsequent question about how do the people make an assessment of it and remedy that situation. So the deep state control the, has the machine to control the election. The deep state controls the media, that is, you know, the corporate mainstream media, the information through which, you know, the people get not only the news, but their opinion is shaped. And the deep state is the 17 intelligence community in the United States that Schumer, who is now the Senate Majority Leader, the Democratic Senate Majority Leader, warned President Trump way back in January of 2017 that when President Trump talked about that he was under surveillance, that he, his, his Trump Tower had been bugged, and so on and so forth, he warned him that President Trump should be careful because the intelligence agencies have six ways to get to the man they want, you know, if you remember. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it was the intelligence agencies that had created and run the entire fraudulent case, the fake story of the Russia-Trump collusion, the basis on which, you know, a special counsel was appointed, the basis on which the FBI and the CIA ran this fake narrative throughout the entire period of the Trump administration and indeed brought about the first impeachment on, a, on, on the phone call to the Ukrainian president, you know. So you have the deep state and the mechanism that is around it, which is the permanent bureaucracy, the intelligence services, the uniform officers, and then you have the instruments that you control. 
Now you look at it in terms of the separation of power. The classic idea in the separation of power is the checks and balances that will work in terms of the constitution, you know. The president is the chief executive, but he's not the chief legislator, right. you know. The, the Congress has the power of legislation. They're responsible for legislation and therefore money, but they do not have the power to execute anything. That is, they don't have the power to run the government. That belongs to the chief executive. And then you have the Supreme Court, the judiciary, that stands apart as the referee to see whether everything is being done properly, constitutionally, and your question, legitimately. Well, what did we see in this election? We saw right from the time that Trump was elected in 2016 till the moment Trump was ousted, you had the establishment parties, both Democrats and Republicans, operating as one. So you don't have checks and balance in the, in the legislature. You have a uniparty system. You had a uniparty operating. Then you had the, the judiciary. Trump could not bring anything into, that is the Trump team could not bring anything into the courts after the election when the issue was the election had been rigged and it was fraudulent and it had been stolen. They tried to bring things and, and present it in the court because the court is where the evidence is going to be presented. What happened? The Supreme Court declared that the Texas Bill of Complaint, which was signed off by 18 other states, so this is not some, some, something that a few people in America was engaging in this whole notion of a conspiracy. Right. It was the state of Texas with 18 other states, including the president of the United States, who also signed on to the bill of complaint, was presented to the Supreme Court. And what did the Supreme Court say? The Texas has no standing and closed the door. There were only two dissenting opinion from the Supreme Court justices. That is, Justice Alito and Justice uh, Clarence Thomas said, the Supreme Court is obliged to listen to the bill of complaint. I'm paraphrasing right, them. Right. Uh, obliged to listen because it is, you know, we have no discretion about it. You open up and you look at the Constitution, there it is. That... The Supreme Court is the court of original jurisdiction when it comes to a complaint from between one state and another state. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what it was. And that's how it was explained to us before. And, and then, of course, when they try it, nothing happened. No, so this is what I'm saying. So you then, then you look at it, you, you, look, you stand back and you look at it, and you, what you find is that the three branches of government based in Washington operating in uniform agreement on who runs Washington. Now, in a republic... Based on a constitution, the critical element is the rule of law. That's what we talk about, right. It, right? The rule of law means in front of the law, everybody is equal, okay? So the people who brought this fake charges against President Trump about Trump-Russia collusion, and that went on for almost three years till the special counsel was was closed down because they did not have anything uh, on the president. It was a fake case against uh, Michael Flynn and the DOJ finally right. dropped the case, you know, and yet 
the judge still wanted to pursue, uh, pursue him. And you know yeah. what else? The current media still says that he got convicted and that he declared himself to be guilty and all that stuff, which we know the story behind. Right. Right. So, so the point is here, if, you know, again, for the sake of time, we cannot go into the weeds, but the point is that the people who broke the law, who created these fake narratives, you know, who signed off on the FISA court warrants, that is the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, the warrant, you know, which the warrants were signed off by people, including the Chief Justice, John Roberts, knowingly that these were fake warrants. None of them have been prosecuted. In other words, they have all walked free. So where is the rule of law? Good question. That's what I want to talk about when we come back. Dan Dix here reporting for Press for Truth, and in this video, we're going to prove that nobody actually likes this man. You can just get a load of the White House official YouTube channel and the inauguration video for President Joe Biden. Just look at the thumbs up versus the thumbs down, the dislikes, guys. 31,000 dislikes to only 4,000 thumbs up. That is not a good ratio there, guys. And look, let, let's compare that to Trump's archived White House videos. Uh, the very last video that Trump posted one day ago, we see he's got, look at this, 28,000 thumbs up to only 2,000 thumbs down. Uh, let's take a look at uh, this one, 26,000 thumbs up to only 1,000 thumbs down. Those are the numbers of a popular president. Look at this one, his farewell address, 6 million views. It's got almost a quarter million thumbs up with only 20 thousand thumbs down. These are the numbers of a president who is liked. These are the numbers of a man who is disliked and hated. Just take a look at Biden's um, Instagram account where he's just started posting. This guy unfollowing. The real president left on a plane today. This guy, we've already been wearing a mask for almost a year. This guy, haven't we had masks this entire time? After these hundred days, COVID will magically be gone, and then they're going to call the, him the king? This one, we started wearing masks in late of March 2020. This one, just 14 days, or I mean 14 months to flatten the curve. This one, stop making me automatically follow you. I've unfollowed you four times. This guy, worst president in America's history, and it's only his first day. This guy, clown. It, it just goes on and on and on, guys. Uh, thank you very much, and we love you, and I can tell you that from the bottom of my heart. What we've done has been amazing by any standard. We rebuilt the United States military. We created a new force called Space Force. That in itself would be a major achievement for a regular administration. We were not a regular administration. We took care of the vets, 91% approval rating. They've never had that before. The vets have given us the VA. The vets have given us an approval rating like uh, has never been before. We took care of our vets and our beautiful vets. They were very badly treated before we came along. Our military is thrilled. We also got tax cuts, the largest tax cut and reform in the history of our country by far. 
I hope they don't raise your taxes. But if they do, I told you so. You're going to see incredible numbers start coming in if everything is sort of left alone. Be careful. Very complex. Be careful. But you're going to see some incredible things happening. We have the greatest country in the world. We have the greatest economy in the world. And I can only say this. Uh, we have worked hard. We've left it all, as the athletes would say, we've left it all in the field. And we had a lot of obstacles. and. We went through the obstacles and we just got 75 million votes and that's a record in the history of in the history of sitting presidents. That's an all-time record by a lot, by many millions in the history of sitting presidents. It's been really just an honor. Uh, one of the things we're very very proud of is the selection of almost 300 federal judges and three great Supreme Court justices. So with that, I, I just want to say you are amazing people. This is a great, great country. It is my greatest honor and privilege to have been your president. I will always fight for you. I will be watching. I will be listening. And I will tell you that the future of this country has never been better. So just a goodbye. We love you. We will be back in some form. You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. And, Salim, just before the break, you were talking about we're abandoning the rule of law, and I've been saying for a while that we've gone from the rule of law to a law of rules, and that's what we're living under today. Like, I don't, I don't see a simple way out of this. We're all watching what Americans are about to do. What might they do? What might the people who voted for Trump do? What might the people who know that this was a stolen election, and that's where I work from. There's no question in my mind that it was. I watched it with my own eyes. I saw hours and hours and hours of testimony. It was just ridiculous. But I hear a call to solve our dilemma by democratic means, and I don't see that as being even viable? Is it? Is there even such a thing possible? You know, I can't pretend to predict the future, but I have no discomfort in expressing how I see them, the immediate past and present, and nothing has really changed. And now that the deep state runs everything, they run the elections, I see no hope for correcting these electoral anomalies. You know, under a democratic rule, there's no way they're going to reform the electoral system and make it transparent, shall we say, for the public to watch. And, and I'm convinced, too, that given what we've discovered now, past elections were similarly fraudulent. And the problem with the 2016 one was that they didn't cheat enough to beat Trump. And we, we acknowledged that at the time. I remember there was a lot of known electoral fraud going on. How do we end this? Well, the situation... Without using guns, I mean, in a peaceful way. Well, the situation, in my view, is that we can't end them because uh, in, in through the through the process that is not prescribed in the constitution. The constitution had the remedy, but all of those remedy that the constitution provides for becomes inapplicable with the deep state. The deep state is in collusion to perpetuate its own rule. Uh, which is yeah. what it seems it is now, you know, then the situation is very grim in terms of uh, what is the remedy from the part of the people. The part of people either overthrows the deep state 
or the people live under the deep state. Overthrowing the deep state peacefully means precisely through election. But if the deep state now, as we can see, is in effect controlling the outcome of election, that means elections are rigged and manipulated, then, you know, the whole exercise of election becomes meaningless. As I said a little while ago, yeah, it's not, it's not how many people vote for something, it's who gets to count the votes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that goes back to that famous Stalinist uh, yeah. observation, you know. So what, in effect, President Trump's four years in office amounted to, that he pulled the curtain uh, behind which the deep state was operating and exposed it to the people to the 75 million people who voted, and, and those numbers are going to uh, go in, in, in a larger increase. But election is not the remedy. I mean, what happened was, again, I mean, after the November 3rd election, you had the runoff election in Georgia for the two Senate seat in Georgia. And the people were saying, what's the point of voting? Because, you know, it is the same machine that is going to be used for the runoff election that was used in November 3rd. Yeah, and, and the, the fact and, that nobody's and, addressing that is beyond my comprehension. And, and that's right, and, and, and the state of Georgia never addressed the issue, despite all the efforts that was brought to bear upon the state of Georgia. Uh, and the state of Georgia was being run by Republicans. It was not that the state of Georgia was a blue state like California, or which is basically in effect California and New York as blue states have become one-party states. Well, it's interesting. General Flynn, in his con couple of conversations, said that when they went through their unofficial counting of the ballots, that Trump even won California, something like by a margin of two to one. It is quite possible Trump won 50 states. I mean, let's yeah. hypothesize. Well, he said, he said 49 or 50. <laughs> let, 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 let me hypothesize yeah. and say Trump won 50 states. And the person or people who says no, then they have to prove it no. You know, they have to disprove my claim that Trump won 150 states, right? Yeah, well, won't so that be easy dis to do disproving, now? Disproving means, you know, looking at the evidence, bringing the evidence in, an, you know, in a neutral, impartial, objective basis and analyze it. That's the thing. Trump's people said, Trump said that the election, November 3rd election was rigged and stolen. The Democrats and the Congress, both Republicans and Democrats in the Congress, Mitch McConnell, for instance, who was a Senate Majority Leader, extended the congratulation to Joe Biden as president-elect, even while Trump was still the president and therefore still the leader of the Republican Party and engaged in contesting, you know, through whatever means that was available, the election results in those six contested states, Mitch McConnell disregarded all of that and greeted Joe Biden as president-elect. Well, of course, this is So one. the point is okay. that the, both the Republicans and the Democrats were deeply involved in maintaining the charade that the election was genuine, without any flaw, and was okay. That means the integrity of the election was okay. The issue with the people is that there is no further question about the integrity of the election. The integrity of the election is non-existent. 
That's right, because they saw everything in, in the court of public opinion, shall we say, rather than in the official court. And, you know, it's one of the reasons I open this show up every week with the phrase, not right wing, <laughs> just right. Yes. Because most of the people who call themselves right wing, you know, what are they, you know, Republicans in name only, yeah. rhinos, same thing here with our conservatives, conservatives yeah. in name only. Yes. And those words totally mess up people's thinking about the whole electoral system and who's on whose side. Right. And you can't tell by party anymore. Trump, upon leaving, suggested he's going to be back in some other form. I don't know what that might mean. Might it mean that he's going to start another political party? Might it mean that he's going to get into the media industry? Because that would be, I think, more dangerous to the deep state than Trump forming another party, to be honest with you. <laughs> Getting the accurate word out there to people. Because look at how they're in such a frenzy to continue with all this censorship going on. Hey guys, Trump's gone. Why do you still need to censor? Well, I think what's going to happen, we're going to learn more about the things that they've been trying to reject. And that includes making it very clear that the election was stolen, making it very clear who's doing what criminal activity. And I think some of those things can be done better outside uh, the court of law and outside the political system. But you know, I look at it now, and I start wondering if Trump stepping down might in effect almost be the best thing that he could have done for his own purposes. Because look what's already happened. Many of the lies that would not have been exposed, but for his presence, like they're already starting to take down all the COVID restrictions, they're changing the whole, everything they're saying, which makes it so clear it wasn't Trump. Now, one of the scenarios I heard is he's going to let that go on for a while and let them all bury themselves with their own BS that they've been burying us in, and then come back in some form. Well, Bob, I mean, uh, what happens not only a week from now, but a month, a year, or many years from now, we en in enter into the area of speculation, and that's something that we can do. But I was focusing on Trump's departure from Washington, the end of the Trump presidency, and what does it all mean? You know, whether Trump come back or not, you know, Trump will have to contend with it. That is... America is no longer the republic that we all took for granted in the sense that America is based upon a constitution, a written document. Mm -hmm. and but this isn't, a, this isn't a recent development, though, right? No, What's recent will, is our awareness of it. But that's what I said. And yeah. then you go back to 1945, right. you know, and the 75-year period. From the perspective of the debate in terms of whether you wanted to put it in terms of party politics, Republican and Democrats, or whether you want to put it in terms of people and ideas and their conviction and their ideology, that is, conservatives and progressives. On the Constitution was that, you know, the progressives, that is the Democrats, but the progressives, they maintain con Constitution as a living document, and therefore it is what the people say it is, that is, the people in power say it is. And the conservative opinion was, no, the Constitution is a text that clearly states out what it means, and it doesn't change. We have to seriously look at the text and adapt to what the text says. The other thing, major lawsuit. So this has been going on behind the scenes, and uh, when we come back Black History Month first, I, I want to make something clear. If you're looking for a show that just talks about how much Biden sucks, um, this is not the show for you. Former Vice President Joe Biden does suck, 
President Joe Biden and, of course, the uh, the, the mainstream media, uh, oh, really, they're not so mainstream anymore, which we'll get to in a second, um, Hollywood, they're a primary adversary. But a lot of Republicans did nothing, okay, for four years, did nothing. And I'm not just talking about ele- the election, which, uh, you know, we've covered at length here uh, on the program. As a matter of fact, some of the, some of the information in the amicus briefs came from yours truly, and I shouldn't be the, doing that. Republicans had four years, and they did nothing about the biggest issue of our time, big tech, the, I guess, sort of tripopoly, for lack of a better word, but the, the, the corporate censorship, the foreign interference that can take place, rules and guidelines that are really important as we go into the next decade. All the tweets, all the hearings, all the subpoenas, nothing was done. As far as big tech is concerned, they are undefeated against Republicans. And we are filing a major lawsuit February 1st. I I bring this up with Republicans because you know what? Listen, uh, they're not our friends. I I, I know there's the 11th commandment that Ronald Reagan spoke about and Andrew Breitbart reiterated to me that you shouldn't uh, speak ill of your fellow conservative. But um, not all of them wear the team jersey. And of course, former Vice President Joe Biden is, is, is uh, he's really not the main problem in the country. He's, he's a symptom of, of the problems going on right now. At what point is it no longer the same team jersey? And we've had conversations with some of these people who hold legislative power behind the scenes and have seen them kowtow because they're afraid of losing maybe their little slice of platform. Well, listen, big tech thinks that they're undefeated because uh, they, they think that they're untouchable. All the tweets, no, no, nothing, nothing has happened. But by the end of this year, they're going to have a half Asian Kraken in their L column. Republicans, you know, people don't remember this. I was around when Barack Obama was inaugurated. I was a commentator at Fox News when the Tea Party was started, uh, you know, the rant from Santelli. And I remember Republicans always, they were painted as the party of no. They were painted as the party, that's all they did, no. And I defended them, sometimes. And this, of course, doesn't, doesn't apply to all Republicans, but that criticism was right. Seems that a lot of Republicans would rather be the party of no than uh, actually use their power for good when they have it. And, and, and this is something that's important. You won't only be judged by what you did when you were powerless, you'll be judged by what you did uh, with strength, with power once you attained it. It's been disappointing for me, but we have, uh, we, we've had to get ready for this lawsuit. Look, okay, I'll say this. Uh, I'll say this once and I will, you'll never hear me say it again. This has been the number one conservative show across media platforms uh, with a bullet for a while now. It's not even close. And we don't come out and say that because you hear some of these shows say number one show or top growing show or fastest growing show because we want the show to be to be judged on, on the merits of its content. Content is more important, but we, we've had a really big target on our back. It's, it's time to get serious. I'm not just talking about a suit of uh, posters removed, but hopefully something that sets um, a serious precedent. To, to give you an example, so election night. Election night and election morning, we had 15-something million people uh, tune in. And that was, keep in mind, that was after Facebook had completely banned, removed our stream without reason, which, by the way, we still have not been given. So who knows, you know, if we'd just be able to reach the people who have chosen to subscribe and, and, and like our, our pages, call it maybe 20 million. Um, and, and I don't say that to brag, that's why we don't bring it up. I say it because I'm incredibly grateful. And it's relevant here because there were some powers that be that were very upset that we had uh, more people tuning in than any of their main anchors at ABC, CBS, CNN, uh, Fox News. And the landscape is about to change. 
still travel, I suppose? St. Louis, New Orleans, New York, nice. all over. Nice cities. Yes. What about this, uh, this trouble that seems to be brewing between the states? Not trouble, Mr. Cartwright. It's a prelude to war. Civil war. Now, do you really think it'll come to that, Mr. Carr? There's already talk that some of the states are seceding from the Union. I hope we'll be spared all that grief out here. That's a very disturbing phrase you used, Salim, a living document, when people start looking at a constitution as a living document. Well, the first thing I thought about was languages. And we talk about living in dead languages, and one of the dead languages is Latin, all right? We call it a dead language because it's no longer having any vocabulary added to it, which is precisely why it is used as a legal basis for so many legal issues, why doctors use it for prescriptions so that nobody makes a mistake trying to describe some drug in modern terms when there's 10 names for it, you know? And so... It seems to me that as soon as we start talking about the Constitution as a, as a quote-unquote living document that we can just change at our whim, you know, we're back to rule by men and not rule by laws, aren't we? Isn't that literally where the states is now, are now? What yeah, are I, mean, I mean, and that's, that's what I was driving at. Even if Trump comes back in some form or the other to contest and be engaged in American politics that is post Trump. He will have to deal with this challenge. America has been transformed. You look at some of the critical issues of America in the post-1945 period, you see that changes have been brought about through legislation which would not stand if the justices were looking at the legislation in terms of what the Constitution lays out. Take, for instance, Roe versus Wade, one of the most divisive issues in American politics. There's the right of the women to abortion. And ever since then, the challenge has been, you know, to upturn that legislation would need, require conservative majority on the court to overturn that, you know, mm -hmm. and that's, that's been one of the issues that have been fought over. Well, with the present situation, and they have the Democrats have already talked about it, and one can imagine that the Republican establishment will only go through the charade of opposing it, but will possibly go along with it, is court packing. And if they pack up the court, then there will be no possibility to have a situation where you can have conservative judges in the majority and all the other similar divisive legislation that the Democrats are going to pass through, that is the progressive agenda is going to pass through. Transgenderism is a big issue now, mm -hmm. and if they're going to pass through that, then there is no basis on which that can be reversed if there's court packing takes place, you know. So there you have it, the situation. I mean, Trump appointed three conservative judges Trump had the opportunity to do that. He nominated three conservative judges and they went through the Senate process and they were appointed. Neil Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett. And that gave technically, if you take Justice John Robert appointed by George Bush 43 as a conservative, then you have a 6-3 conservative majority in the court. But what happened? Trump could not get a standing in the court. Yeah. They closed the door on him, you know. Three judge, judges that he had nominated, plus John Roberts, 
you know, and then the three other justices who were democratic appointment, liberal justices, you know, Sotomayor, Kagan, and Breyer, they're all close the court on, on Trump and the Texas Bill of Compliance. Did they have a legitimate reason to do that? No. As far as you're concerned? The answer is obviously not. As, as Justice Clarence Thomas and Justice Alito pointed out, that the court has no basis to deny uh, the bill of complaint, not to hear the bill of complaint, right. because the court is the court of original jurisdiction when it comes to a state. Well, obviously there is a basis. So there was no. It was simply arbitrary. The court decided that they're not going to hear the court. They slammed the thing on it. And no other court was willing to listen to the evidence provided. So what I'm driving at is the deep state, the uniparty system can and will change the law. They can change the amendment. They can, I mean, Trump had been pointing out the Second Amendment is under threat. Yeah. They can they can change through legislation instead of going through an amending process. They can bring in legislation that will be directly an attack on the Second Amendment right to bear arms. And they can do the same thing indirectly by letting the mainstream media, the oligarch globalist media, to deplatform conservative voices. This is a big challenge facing us now. Precisely. And, and the court doesn't do anything to reverse that, you know, because the court will say there is no legislation over here and we are not going to give a standing to the bill, uh, any bill of complaint. You're painting a very grim picture here, Salim. <laughs> You're basically saying that the United States is now a totalitarian state. It is a soft, soft, soft totalitarian state, absolutely. Well, soft or hard, I don't know. You know people, I, I well, the soft is, I mean, we're right. not going to see, or at least we hope not to see, gulag, like the gulag in Soviet Union. But the gulag over here will be that... The COVID, the the COVID camps. For, yeah, the people who stand for the freedom issue yep. will be isolated. So where are we going to go from here? I mean, Robert, and, Robert Vaughn and I, when we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, we said it came down to ballots or bullets. Right now, it sounds like if if all this is true and the government's so entrenched and doesn't care about what the public thinks, because they're dealing with a public now that does not like this government. So how do we get around the ballots and bullets situation? I mean, the problem with government is that in a democracy, it can be argued that every ballot is backed by a bullet, isn't it? Because when we vote, we vote to use the force of government either to protect life, liberty, and property, or to uh, offend life, liberty, and property, right? And so, given the situation we're in now, I don't see how Americans can get out of this without resorting to bullets. I've seen it in other so-called democracies. Is this the future we're going to see? I don't see the future in the in the sense of, you know, a repeat of 1861 in any way. I mean, the American history is based upon, you know, the whole uh, struggle for free society, which is a 1776 revolution and onward is based upon no taxation without representation. Representation. The people have to make a decision. Right. Okay. And so no taxation without representation led to the Revolutionary War in which is the birth of the American Republic. That war established all those 10, you know, amendments, which is the Bill of Rights. And in that sense, armed the citizens, armed the people to defend those rights. But then 
we had the civil war, the American Civil War. And, and that civil war was about, you know, ended up being about ultimately the emancipation of the slave, but the war broke out on the basis that the southern states basically argued that the election of Abraham Lincoln meant that the southern states would not be able to maintain their own culture, their own lifestyle, their own, you know, state sovereignty, so to speak. And that was tested, and that was tested with the Civil War. And the war ended with the Confederacy defeated and the Union consolidated. So again, there was the question of bullet and ballot, Mm -hmm. as you say. I mean, President Lincoln was elected by ballot, but the Union was defended by bullets. The question that hangs, if people are going to argue, I mean, obviously, 75 million Americans voted for President Trump, and they are totally, in that sense, you know, being discriminated against, or they have lost any say in the matter of the American Republic. And if they want a remedy, all the avenue of remedy in that sense is closed, so it is left to bullet but will they have the bullet to face the American army? And that's where I come down to know. No, that's my that's the way I look at it too. And I'm looking at maybe something like, I don't know, some kind of cold war going on internally, like a cold civil war, if you could call it that. Because it's it's in the field of ideas that this is going to have to be won in the end, if it's going to be won at all. It has to be won in the world in the realm of ideas, and if people can have their say and eventually win enough back through the ballot enough people who are going to carry the people's voice in Washington. Those are deep and difficult questions. Uh, It is also a matter of states, whether the states will be able to elect government. Texas is already talking about secession, but I don't see secession as a way out because the issue of secession was closed with with the Civil War of 1861-65. Texas has raised that issue Mm -hmm. right now after this election. We'll see where the Texas uh, effort goes, you know, whether there will be other states joining Texas in some similar action, which would be a way to bring political and moral pressure on Washington uh, through, you know, states and states' rights. But uh, all of that is in the uh, arena of speculating and hypothesis The fact of the matter is that the four years of President Trump's in Washington was an expose of the deep state. The deep state did not accept Trump's election, and the deep state ousted him eventually. And the deep state now wants to do a second impeachment on him. That's a whole other story that we could spend five shows on, I think. Thanks for joining us today, Salim. And I think that in accepting the installation of Biden, we now know that we're living in a complete political unreality in the sense of his presidency having any legitimacy at all. So I continue to see our primary responsibility when we move forward as being one of keeping an open conversation going until we aren't able to do that anymore. Because in a free speech environment, the truth generally floats to the top or at least is accessible. So, unlike the unwelcome installation of Joe Biden, we hope that you will welcome and appreciate our next installation of Just Right by joining us again next week when we will continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color.
can color it to black and white Under the bedclothes Everything will be alright It's weird how we can't agree on any part of the virus, you know? Like, we can't agree if it's real, we can't agree how bad it is. It feels like if Godzilla was ever attacking a town, there'd be a bunch of people like, it's cause of the election, wash! It's gonna go away in November. Godzilla doesn't like the heat. You're like, what is that? 